It was July 20th, 1969. I was six years old and playing at a neighbor's house. Kathy's parents suddenly swung open the front door and called us, hurry up, come inside. On the small black and white television were images of the landing of the Apollo 11, the lunar module, and the first steps of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon. On their olive green shag rug floor, we sat intently watching those blurry astronauts hearing their crackling voices. What an amazing and surreal moment for all of humankind, and one that had staying power in this young girl's mind. And soon afterward, I heard this story of the ascension in Sunday school. The last moments for Jesus on earth, he was blessing his friends while lifting up into the heavens, leaving them behind. I remember imagining Jesus flying through the clouds, past the moon, looking down on those footsteps left by Neil Armstrong. I felt uneasy about Jesus traveling through the starry universe without his own spaceship. The writer of Luke Acts has two accounts of the Ascension, one in the Gospel and one in Acts. The one in the Gospel is placed at the end of Jesus' life on earth, and its purpose seems to be the description of the culmination of his ministry. The one in Acts is placed at the beginning of the Apostles' ministry, and the purpose seems to be the deputization of their mission on earth. As odd as this story sounds to our modern ears, it has been part of the Church's theological understanding of itself since the late 2nd century. Christians confess the ascension in the Apostles' Creed. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. By the late 4th century, an exact place where Jesus was thought to have left the earth on the Mount of Olives was venerated and the Chapel of the Ascension was constructed there in 390. What is so important about this quizzical piece of Jesus' life? Well, just as we cannot get to Easter without going through Good Friday and Holy Saturday, we cannot get to Pentecost, the birth of the Church, which is next Sunday, without the Ascension. The Ascension is essential to the story because the risen Jesus had to leave the earth in order to create space for his disciples to become the church. Jesus had to go so his followers could become his body in the world. In the words of St. Teresa of Avila, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. If Jesus had remained with his disciples, I suspect they would have remained dependent upon him. During the years they were with him, they were slow to understand what he taught about the reign of God, and even after spending 40 days with him, following his resurrection, they still didn't comprehend who he was. The disciples certainly didn't understand that the Messiah was to become the servant of all. After his resurrection, 
Jesus was still explaining these revelations to them as he poured through the scriptures with them. The disciples had hoped that the Messiah would exert power over and dominate Israel's enemies. They hoped for Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire. But we know that was far from what actually happened. Instead of overthrowing the Romans, Jesus was executed by them in the most horrible, vulnerable way. Through the cross, God revealed a profoundly different form of power, one of self-giving sacrifice. Jesus emptied himself, Paul said, so his disciples, we, could receive the power of love. In Acts, as they were watching Jesus, as he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight, the stunned disciples standing with their wide eyes open and mouths agape are asked by the two men in white robes, why are you standing here staring into the heavens? There's work on earth to be done. Get back to Jerusalem and wait for the power. I imagine the disciples dropping their eyes, blinking a couple of times, looking around, and what they see doesn't make sense. Peter sees his brother Andrew. John looks over at the two Janes. There is Philip and Thomas and Matthew. Bartholomew is there, and over to the side is the good Judas. I imagine that they didn't understand that God's intention was for them, a small band of unlikely followers, to change the world. How might the church, our own unlikely band of followers of Jesus, witness to that kind of power during this global pandemic? Most of us feel powerless. Most things feel beyond our control. I'm trying to wear my mask and obey the rules, but I see so many people gathering in groups with no masks. I have to remind myself, I can't control the virus, nor can I control how others respond to it. I find I can still scowl even with my mask on. What we can do as a church is alleviate suffering where we see it. What we can do is generate joy where it is lacking. The power of the Holy Spirit is not power over, but power with. The power of the Holy Spirit is generous, unrestricted love. This kind of power makes the difference between a church fixed on self-preservation and a church that understands its call is to give itself away. Jesus told the disciples, go back to Jerusalem and wait. And waiting is hard work. Certainly the world knows this now more than ever. But waiting doesn't have to be passive. The disciples waited, and we are waiting. But it's an anticipatory waiting, a time of preparation for something new to emerge out of chaos and uncertainty. A rabbi said, the spiritual life takes place between the difficult and the impossible. 
I know we're getting antsy to get life moving again. Churches across the country are clamoring for and demanding their rights to return to church. Montview, however, has chosen to wait, to stay safer at home, to accept instructions for limiting our movement. We've chosen to wait for our church building to reopen until it's safe for all of us. We look forward to the day we'll gather together in this place. Until then, we remember God's call is not to go to church. God's call is to be the church. Let me say that again. Our call is not to go to church. Our call is to be the church. So friends, be the church. Today, where you live, how you live. Care for yourselves and care for your neighbors in your real neighborhood, in your social media neighborhood, in your Zoom neighborhood. Witness to the powerful love of Jesus Christ when and where you can. And please, for the love of God and neighbor, wear a mask.